Yeah, Triple B's in the building. Big baller brand supports the NBA buzz and the inside buzz. We with you, man. Triple B style. Hi, and welcome to episode 24 of Inside Buzz, where I have Smush Parker with me, one of the most talked about Lakers players of the mid-2000s. I'm Mikey Domagawa, and I'll tell you about Parker's career, which spanned 17 years professionally, 6 years in the NBA, and 11 overseas. He spent time with the Clippers, the Cavs, the Suns, the Heat, and of course, the Los Angeles Lakers, where he was a starting point guard alongside Kobe Bryant from 2005 to 2007. Now, in 2020, he has his own clothing brand, Smush Parker Elite, and he's training to get back into the NBA, but this time as a referee. All right, Smush, welcome to episode 24 of Inside Buzz. I appreciate you joining me. Thanks for having me, Mike. Smush, as everybody could see and everybody's used to, they're used to me being in my Inside Buzz gear, but I got something different on. I got the Smush Parker Elite gear and you got the Inside Buzz tee. Did a little bit of a jersey swap. I appreciate you doing it. Can you tell me more about your company and the merch I'm wearing? All right, so a little bit about my company or my brand, I should, I, I like to say. Um, when I retired from basketball, I wanted to uh, give back to the community. You know, there are a lot of inner city kids who don't have the resources to uh, make it to a, a high profile athletes basketball cl uh, camp or clinic or even make it to an NBA game. They may never meet an NBA player in their life. So uh, what I wanted to do was I created, uh, you know, free basketball cancer clinics for those kids because I was once them growing up. And I wish that, you know, I met an NBA player, you know, growing up. And uh, here I am, you know, fast forward, I'm an NBA player, made it to the NBA, and I feel like I could give back to the community. So what I did was I created a brand just to, you know, bring awareness to what I do uh, for the kids. Perfect. As everybody can see right here, here's Smush on the shirt. Great basketball logo. Check at Smush underscore Parker underscore Elite on Instagram. I know you could find all the merch there. And Smush, I've been following you for a while on Instagram there. And I see you've been trying to move up the ranks in the referee world. Now, we might not see you back in the NBA as a player, but can we as a referee? Yes, that's exactly what I'm working on now. Uh, as you said, I'm working up the ranks. Uh, became an official official, <laughs> an official official uh, last uh, October. I passed uh, the test, got my certificate, and I've been uh, refereeing about a, about a year and a half now. And uh, due to COVID, you know, sports are on pause, unfortunately. But, um, you know, once sports uh, comes back up, hopefully in early January of 2021, you know, my ranks, I can start working back up to uh, my goal. And that's making it back to the NBA as a, as a referee. That would be quite the story, man. And speaking of 2020, you know, it's been a wild year. COVID-19 caused for months, I mean, every city in America to just board up their stores, but also their basketball courts take down the rims, the hoops. Now, as an inner city kid growing up, you know, who spent time on the playgrounds, on those courts, how did you feel seeing everything like that, all the, the rims taken down? For real. Um, you know, as you stated, you know, businesses were boarded up. You know, I get back to the basketball courts, but businesses were boarded up. And you from New York City, there's millions of businesses. And, you know, just walking down New York City and the streets being empty, New York City is never empty. It's, it's a city that never sleeps. So seeing it in that condition was, uh, was um, mind-blowing. But uh, to the fact of walking down the street and seeing millions of parks with no rims, just backboards and no kids outside playing. And, you know, New York City is the mecca of basketball. There's uh, a million basketball courts on, uh, in New York City. There's one on every block. And to 
that the kids, there were no kids in the parks at all playing. There was no rims, uh, no nets. Uh, it, it, it was uh, devastating. Is there like a really crazy experience that you remember from growing up and playing hoops on the streets of Brooklyn? Well, um, not, I wouldn't say it's a crazy story, but I do have a memory. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of what I, it's sort of the reason why actually I'm not going to say sort of, it is the inspiration on what I do now, as far as giving back to the kids and uh, doing what I do for the kids in the community. When I was about 13 years old, um, I met Anthony Mason, you know, who at the time was a New York net. I never watched an NBA game, never seen him play. I just knew that, uh, when he was at the park at West 4th street basketball course, playing in the NBA in the, uh, New York City championship game, everybody was so excited to see him. And I remember the buzz and the energy that was created just by him being there. And I, you know, I took a picture with him again, not knowing he was a New York Knicks, just knowing that he played in the NBA. And I remember that memory when I was 13. I don't remember too many days when I was 13, but I remember that day vividly. And I was just like, you know what? If Anthony Mason could create that memory for me, why not me, Smush Park, be able to create that memory and you know somebody else to kind of inspire them to you know want to be great, just like Anthony Mason did for me. Man, shout out to Anthony Mason, one of the most underrated players of the '90s. Also, rest in peace. Also, shout out to his son Antoine Mason, who I interviewed a while back. And Smush, you know, you're a high school star. You go to Fordham. You're a college star. 16 points per game. In 2019, I'm gonna take a little forward. Dwayne Wade posted a video on social media of himself splitting screens. And he said, I remember being in college and seeing Smush Parker split screens and seeing how effective they were. I wanted to master it. So I did. And it became a signature of, of his. So when you saw that, you know, how'd you react to D Wade giving you that love all those years later? I was honored. You know, uh, D Wade is uh, arguably the, the, the number two best uh, top three two guard in, the NBA, in NBA history uh, and for him to you know just out of the blue uh, give me a compliment and uh, a shout out you know was uh, was an honor um, to tell you a little bit about that story I don't think I was a star you know you said I was a college star high school star I was just a kid who loved to play basketball but um, I got a chance to play with D-Wade and Shaq in Miami and D-Wade told me that story. Uh, we played, I remember that game vividly. Uh, Fordham University went down, to, um, went down to play Marquette. Now, they, they smacked us by like 50. D-Wade had 30 at halftime, didn't play the whole second half. Um, he said that they were watching game tape of, you know, me and the Fordham uh, Rams. And during the game tape, the whole time, they was like, yo, who is this skinny kid getting wherever he wants to on the basketball court? We have to stop this. You know, there's no way that this skinny kid right here, Smush Parker, is going to kill us the way he's killing everybody else. So uh, they made it their business to, like, you know, really hone in their defense on stopping me from, uh, I guess, getting to wherever I, I, I wanted to get to. And uh, he said, even then, you know, the way I was just splitting screens and getting into the lane and getting whatever shots. Um, again, it was just an honor for D-Wade to say what he said. And that Fordham Marquette game, how much do you remember about matching up with D-Wade? You said he had 30 in the half. I mean, how, cra how crazy was he pre-NBA? He was, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to see uh, much of him in his uh, Marquette uh, career. I just uh, got first-hand view in a, a little exhibition game 
And like I said, he had 30 at halftime. Didn't even play the second half. That that just tells you the story right there, you know. And and last week on NBA Buzz, I posted that it was the 17th anniversary of LeBron James's Cavaliers debut. Now I know you didn't play with LeBron that year, but you were in Cleveland the year before, and a video came out from before the Cavs drafted him. When asked if LeBron would turn the team around, you said, "And he would come in and make an immediate impact like a Karan Butler." No did for the Miami. But Carlos Boozer said, we have better players than him at his position. And Darius Miles said, you can't bring in a high school player and think the team would turn around. Now, looking at Boozer and Miles' statements, how do you feel about that? Well, I can't, you know, speak to, you know, those players. Um, they respectively had their own legendary NBA careers. Um, I just know that... Uh, I get a lot. I, I get a lot of flack <laughs> for that video because they think that I, you know, said something, you know, uh, that was totally off and uh, hating against LeBron. But people forget what Karan Butler did for the Miami Heat when uh, when they brought him in. They 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 really don't know who Karan Butler is. They forget. They need to do some research. And um, Karan Butler had an immediate impact when he uh, when he first uh, went to Miami Heat. And when they asked me that question, I was like, listen. Um, can this high, they asked me, they, uh, can this kid, this high school kid be an uh, uh, impact in the NBA? And I said, yes, he can be an immediate impact like Karan Butler did for the Miami Heat. But, you know, if, uh, social media wise, you know, uh, fans, LeBron James fans, you know, come at me, you know, every day, every other day about that video, whenever it, uh, it resurfaces about me hating on LeBron. Your first few years in the NBA, you bounce around. You know, you got there in Cleveland after going undrafted. Then you make a stop in Greece. Then back to the NBA in Detroit and Phoenix. Now, that bouncing around, how did that affect you mentally for not getting your feet set with the team just yet? Just to be uh, completely honest with you, I mean, I played, you know, five, six years in the NBA. Had the opportunity of playing with some great players, great teams. Um, Like you said, I was in Cleveland uh, before LeBron James. I played with the... Detroit Pistons the year after they won their championship. So I got the aroma of an NBA championship. But, the, you know, there was great leaders on that team. Chauncey Phillips, Rip Hamilton, Deshaun Prince, Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, uh, Derek Coleman, uh, Lindsey Hunter, Darwin Ham. I remember uh, that team very, very – it was coached by Larry Brown. Very savvy vets, very knowledgeable guys who've been, been in the NBA a long time. Um, it was it was great playing with those guys and learning. Uh, played with the Phoenix Suns, you know, had a chance to you know play behind Steve Nash, you know, uh, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, uh, those guys, Boris Diaw, and then I got to play with Kobe Bryant, you know, in L.A. Uh, coached by Phil Jackson, you know, Phil Jackson uh, coached Michael Jordan and the great Chicago Bulls. Um, then down in Miami, uh, Coach Pat Riley, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, D. Wade, Gary Payton, White Chocolate. You know, I had a chance to play with some greats. And I did bounce around a little bit. But I honestly feel, to get back to your question, I honestly feel like I really didn't make the NBA because I didn't get those, you know, uh, that, that stability, that like that, that four or five-year contract that a lot of NBA players get uh, where they could just, you know what, they got a contract that's guaranteed and they could just kind of, exhale now and just play basketball instead of, you know, worrying about keeping a job. I always felt like I had to come in and prove myself and uh, 
you know, it was a, it was a little nerve wracking, but um, like I said, I, I I did it for about five six years, and I like I played for some great guys, teammates. But um, I don't think the NBA got the best of Smith Parker. And I know you said you were always battling to get a spot, battling for a contract. But man, once you landed in LA, that was your proving ground. You know, uh, the bright lights of LA: Kobe Bryant, Lamar Odom, Phil Jackson. Like you said, how did that all come to be after playing in Phoenix? Like, did Phil Jackson hit you up? Did Kobe rec- uh, recruit you? How did you get to LA? Uh, NBA summer leagues. Uh, you know, uh, once you're in that that circuit. Um, you know, teams bring you in to kind of, I guess, fill a uh, NBA roster during the summer. You know, to kind of, you know, work out or uh, work out with you know certain players that they have an eye on. And uh, you know, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm gonna keep it 100% honest with you on uh, on this interview. Um, I was never slated to make the NBA, and uh, you know, I had to prove that I was good enough to play at that level, and not to you know kind of you know, take anything away from me. But um, I, I always knew I was good enough to play in the NBA. And a lot of people uh, think that I underachieved when I was in L.A. when they don't understand that I overachieved. Like, they they had their point guards already. They paid, you know, Sasha Vujicic all that money. They paid um, uh, um, McKee. Uh, from, uh, they brought him in from the Philadelphia 76ers. Aaron McKee to be the to be the uh, starting point guard, and I came in and I proved that I proved to that organization that I deserve. Not only did I deserve to play, uh, be added on that team on that roster, but I deserve to be a starter. And I started. I beat guys out for that that starting position. And people, you know, listen to certain people's uh, slick comments about me, and they they already they judge. They try to judge me on that, but. Again, I, not to take back, take take away from what who I am as a player, but I overachieved in the eyes of uh, uh, the NBA. Uh, Twenty plus points scored in your first three games with the Lakers. Minutes per game jumped from an average of your career ten minutes per game to over thirty. And over those two seasons, man, eleven points per game, three assists per game, one point five steals per game. Now, you kind of mentioned it, but does it irritate you that? you don't get that credit and that people may just look at the comments that the media or a teammate might have made about you when in those two years you put in solid numbers. Does it irritate me? No, it doesn't irritate me. Uh, it's, it's disappointing. Um, I'm more disappointed at myself for allowing that to happen. You know, I'm just reaping what I sow, you know, and uh, what I mean by that was, you know, uh, certain players made certain comments about me, but I actually started the beef. You know, if you know, I gotta, I gotta, you know, uh, eat what I, I gotta eat what's going on now because I actually started the feud. And uh, a lot of people don't understand how it all started or where, you know, where all of this stemmed from. But the comments being said to me were just retaliation, and they weren't the truth. And I'm not gonna say any names. I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to go into that conversation. But I'm gonna just leave it there. I mean, I know, I know you don't want to, I know you don't want to go into that conversation, but I think one thing to bring up the tail end of it, of course, Kobe Bryant passing away in January, you gave a very sentimental Instagram post to Kobe. The toughest pill to swallow for me has been the fact that I didn't get to verbally speak with my brother to reconcile our differences. 
can you elaborate a little bit on that? I know, you know, I know you and Kobe butt heads in your, you know, in your friendship, but if you could elaborate on that, that would be great. People, people see what's been, been said in the media or what's been shared in the media, you know, during certain interviews and they assume that, you know, Kobe and I had beef, which was not the case. When I was in LA, we never had a falling out. We never had a fight. Um, it was just a situation where I spoke up and I spoke out on um, certain things that I shouldn't have. You know, there's certain uh, things that happen on, on teams or in your family. Let's just say something happened in your family. You don't go to the public and share what, what happens in your family. You keep whatever happens in your family within your family. And I went public and uh, I, got, I got back to Kobe and, uh, you know, it, it, um, it hurt him. And you could tell by, you know, how he reacted. But when I made that uh, that statement, actually, uh, I had a change of heart and a lot of the things that I, you know, said and what I did, you know, uh, about seven years ago, I gave my life to Christ and, uh, you know, and doing so, you know, the Lord's revealed to me certain things about myself and, uh, you know, I took ownership and uh, the things that I said, the things that I did to create that feud between me and uh, me and him, me and my brother. So I went, you know, public by you know, uh, saying, you know, I, I extended him an apology uh, via uh, social media. Um, I don't know if he got it. I'm sure he did see it. I uh, sent him a letter. I, I wrote out a letter. I sent it to him. I didn't get a response. But um, he and I never verbally spoke. He and I never met back in person after, you know, um, I left the Lakers back in 2007. So uh, I would have liked for us to have been able to you know, cross paths again and kind of speak and hash things out. And I never got the opportunity to. You kind of did mention that letter. I read that you had some sort of communication with him back in 2017 around Christmas time. You sent him a photo and a ball to Kobe's foundation for him to sign for your pastor as a gift. Now, what was in that letter that you wrote? And, and did he send back for your pastor? It was real short, you know, me apologizing for my actions and uh, my words against him and uh you know uh at the end of it i signed it i said uh young mind young thoughts young young actions as far as you know on on what i did you know uh, i was 27 at the time when i you know spoke out you know when i sent that letter i i, I think you said about three four years ago I'm, i was 36 35 36 so you know i had time to you know kind of grow and mature in my thinking and um you know, I sent him a short letter and uh, my pastor, you know, Pastor Louis Schreker Jr., who's a pastor of Reflections Church, uh, is a, the, a number one Kobe fan. Number one, you know, Lakers fan. And, uh, um, you know, for Christmas, I wanted to do something special for him. So, I, you know, like you said, I sent uh, Kobe a ball and a picture of he and I, and um, he signed it. You know, he signed it and sent it back, you know, which, were, which I was greatly appreciated, uh, appreciative of. Um, I, he never responded to me, never sent me a letter, but he did, like I said, sign a uh, basketball and sign a picture. And Smush, when you were growing up, were you a big Kobe fan? Particularly, um, no. Um, and not because of any personal reasons. I just like, um, I like more team-oriented basketball. You know, I wasn't into, you know, the you know the AI kind of play. I didn't have anything against Allen Iverson, but... No, I was more so like a, I'm a point guard at heart. I love assists. I love passing the ball. I love team basketball. It's just pretty to watch when you see five guys out there working together 
and you know um and I get a high off of watching really, really, really good basketball. And I, and that's not to take away from the greatness of Kobe Bryant or Allen Iverson. I just particularly as a player didn't, you know, uh, you know, wasn't a fan. Who are the, some of those players you like to watch? Well, one, when I say team basketball, I like, I like Kevin Garnett. Like that was my favorite player growing up. Cause you know, he, he, he not only just wanted to score the basketball, he, you know, he brought so many different, uh, dynamics to the game and to his team. Like he rebounded, he assisted, he blocked. When you uh, when you look at a, a, the stat sheet at the end of the game, you see he had points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. You know he 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 filled the stat sheet, and uh, that was what you know my nickname was growing up in New York City in the in the playgrounds. They named me Spill the Stat Sheet because I like to do a lot of everything. You know, not just going to basketball and uh, Kevin Garnett brought the energy. I loved his energy, you know, what he did defensively on both sides of the court, defense and offense. You know, he liked to, you know, uh, he played the mind game with his, uh, with the, with his opponents, like try to get guys off their game a little bit, you know, so I, I enjoyed watching that Kevin Garnett. In 2006, Lakers Suns in the first round, you guys go to seven games. You're the starter there and you're, you're matched up against Steve Nash. Tell me what you remember about guarding Nash and if he gave you any headaches. Headaches. I mean, he gave me nightmares. <laughs> Uh, Steve Nash is a great player. Uh, one of one of the hardest guys I had to uh, match up with. One of the smartest guards I had to uh, match up with. And uh, one thing that was hard about Steve Nash, um, it wasn't so much his athleticism or you know him being so much different than other point guards in the league, but his the offense is what you know made Steve Nash. And not to take away from his skill, because he has skill, very good skill. He's a very talented player, but that offense was set up where the offense flowed through him on every single play. Like he was the engine. You know, uh, that that they played a um open, open floor, open concept offense, and it was just he was the playmaker for everybody. Eric, they surrounded him with uh catch and shoot players. No one else would play was a playmaker. If he was a playmaker, that that offense was stagnant. So he attacked every single play, high pick and roll, side uh, screen and roll, get into the lane, creating, you know, creating, you know, defensive uh, matchups where, you know, somebody was open or somebody had a, a mismatch somewhere else. So he was always in attack mode, 100% of the game, always in attack mode. And that's, it's, 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 it's hard to guard a player when they're 100% in attack mode on every single play. Hey guys, Mikey here. I just want to cut away for a second to tell you about a great app I just discovered. It's called Rush Sports. It lets fans watch games together and play alongside the broadcast with free points to win real prizes. The app's founder, Tomash, is with me today to tell us a little bit more about Rush Sports. Thanks for having me, Mikey. Uh, yeah, the app is built for fans that are big fans of a sport or a team, but don't necessarily want to go out and bet real money to, to make the game more exciting for them. So what we do is we've created this uh, digital stadium-like environment almost where fans are hanging out together, watching the game, chatting about what's happening. And every minute or so, they get to answer questions like, who's going to shoot the next three? Is it LeBron or is it uh, uh, Jimmy Butler? And at the end of the game, we give out real prizes like jerseys and hats and, and gaming um, credit cards and things like that. So it doesn't cost you anything, but it still makes the broadcast really fun. 
uh, and you, you get to socialize with a bunch of other fans. And I really thank you for having me on and, and letting me share the platform with uh, your viewers. For all you listeners out there, you can find the app on RushSports.io or search for Rush Sports on the App Store. Now, back to the interview. And also in LA, you mentioned it before, the great Phil Jackson as the head coach. Now, Phil is known to be the zen kind of guy who would make his players meditate. Did you ever go through anything like that when he was your coach? Just definitely. Uh, I don't think we, we went through it as much as uh, you, uh, you saw it in um, uh, the documentary, the Michael Jordan documentary, uh, when he was uh, the coach for, you know, Chicago Bulls. But he did have us, you know, um, a few times, I think in the playoffs, I believe, during film session. You know, before we actually, you know, watch film, he had us sit, you know, upright in a chair. He turned the lights down low and he talked in this very mellow voice. And he have us, you know, all put our hands, our hands together in the palm and hold it like this and close our eyes. And he'd be talking to you like this, you know, close your eyes, clear your mind, focus on being at the beach and sitting there and listening to the waves, you know, it was it was kind of a, a way to kind of clear our minds because he wanted the information that you know we, he was about to share um, with us to kind of not be hindered by you know outside distractions, you know, family, wife, girlfriend, children, business wise, you know, work wise, anything he wanted because we had a we had an objective, and the objective was to you know kind of you know stop. Steve Nash and uh, Phoenix Suns and you know we had a game plan that he wanted to get across and he didn't want like I said any uh, outside distractions those years with the Lakers those are arguably Kobe Bryant's like highest scoring years where he would just take over games what's one memory of Kobe of a game you remember watching of him just flat out just taking over I mean come on that's only one game that anybody right now is, is thinking about and that's the 81 point game in uh, Toronto I, I I kid you not, I kid you not. Um, I was, it was late in the third quarter, late in the third quarter. I didn't know he was scoring that many points. I really wasn't. And at the at the end of the third quarter, you know, uh, I'm sitting on the bench before the fourth quarter starts, and I look up, and the dude has 69 points. And I'm like, Kobe has 69 points at the end of the third quarter. So. And, and then it started to, you know, dawn on me, like, yo, this guy, this guy is hot, like super, super hot. And, um, you know, there were a couple shots that he would take in, and I was just like, wow, if he makes, the, wow, he made that. Okay, he, he made a one-footer fadeaway with two people on him, 35-footer falling out of bounds. And then he got a, uh, a steal, open court dunk. And it was just like, yo, the, the fans were going nuts. He was, it was just one of those moments like he was on, he was just floating. Because he, he was just in one of those zones that there was nothing that the Toronto Raptors could do to stop him besides put him in a, put him, put him in a hospital. <laughs> and Smush, what, was, what were his reactions like after the game? Now, he's got the Mamba mentality probably stone face but what were your interactions with him and his teammates afterwards uh it was it was surreal you know he he just scored 81 points he just surpassed everybody except for Wilt Chamberlain as the number 2 scorer in NBA history um people were 
or in disbelief. Only you know, only a guy who could score eighty one points believes he could score eighty one points. So he he wasn't in disbelief. You know, he was Kobe. He was just like he was confident. He knew what he could he could do. Everybody else in the, on the team was just like this guy just scored eighty one points in a game. It was it was just one of those like those, those it's it's unreal moments for everybody else, but for him. And. If you're on the Lakers, you're like, you know, you're in the public eye in Los Angeles. The NBA, you know, the NBA has more tabs on you. You're the starting point guard of the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm sure you go out to nightclubs and everything like that. And you're just this famous star, all these celebrities everywhere. Tell me about certain celebs you've met and just the Knights of L.A. as the starting point guard. Well, I was never a club guy. Uh, to tell you the truth, I, I don't like being in crowds. Um, I, I have a, a small case of claustrophobia. So if I can't control my personal space, I'm uncomfortable. So again, like I never liked going to clubs, uh, but when I did go out, I was always the small star. <laughs> like I was hanging out with Lamar Odom, and uh, you know I'd hang out with uh, Omar Cook. I'd hang out with uh, Luke Walton. You know if I did, you know ever decide to you know kind of go out, and I was kind of like the kid brother. No one really recognized who I was when I went out by myself. It was always whenever I went out with those Lakers, that you know they'd be oh. Is that Swiss Parker? You know, because I was with those guys. You know, so for me, it was it, it it was, you know, just being normal. No one really knew who it was. It, and uh, no, but I did, like you said, I did get a chance to you know play in front of Jack Nicholson. You know, he was courtside every game. Uh, it was cool. I got a chance to you know uh, talk with uh, Denzel Washington, who also went to Fordham. We have a connection. You know, he's a Fordham alum, just like uh, just like me. Um, who else, you know, but it's all of Hollywood is at your games. And I, I tell this cool story about how, you know, the entertainers of the world came to the Staples Center to be entertained by me. And, you know, that was just, a, uh, that, that's a great memory for me. You know, it was, it was a pretty dope experience when you, you look into the stands, you see all the actors and the actresses that you see on the big screen and you go into the movies and they're, you know, there's hundreds of people in in the same theater watching these people on a big screen, and they're entertaining, and they're on TV, and you look, and they're sitting in the stands looking at you being entertained, which is which was awesome. I know you mentioned Nash, but who's who's another player who gave you a lot of trouble, and you know, to guard? A healthy Baron Davis, I would say, was like my number one hardest person to guard. Um, he had all the tools, all the gifts strong, athletic, uh, you know, street ball handle, um, could get into the paint at any time, could light it up from the outside. You know, he he was always, he was in attack mode also. You know, guys like him, guys like Gilbert Arenas, you know, um, guys like even Sam Cassell, you know, when he was in, a, when he was a clipper, you know, his basketball IQ was off the charts, off the charts. You know, uh, whenever his team needed a bucket, um, he knew how to get one. Like, guys who know, like, that people really don't understand, NBA players are on a different level. When they, you know, you know, when they're in the regular season, they go home and they're not in season. You know, you, got, you have these street ball players who think that, you know, these guys can't really play or they can beat these NBA players. You know, NBA players have a switch. They have a switch. And, you know, when they're home in the offseason, they don't really, you know, be going hard. But, you know, guys like Sam Gassell and guys who are in the NBA, they, they know how to get the, uh, like a bucket. 
even at the highest level, they know how to get a bucket. And he was a hard matchup for me. And, you know, perfect example of that is when Kobe, I believe in 2006, I think he came to Rucker Park and tore it up, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that... Yeah, I, see, I, see, I see videos of that all the time. Yeah, man. They call him uh, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and also, you know, in recent memory, like 2014, Kevin Durant came to Rucker Park, too. He put up, like, 65. So, yeah, I, see, I see what you mean by they could just flip the switch and knock, you know, bang around heads with all these little street ballers compared to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's 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 a different level that those guys are on. So you know, a lot of the times when they come home, if they are on cruise control, you know, you have these uh, street ball players, you know, and they go hard and they think they're doing something. But these NBA guys are in the off season. They're not trying to work out. They're not trying to get hurt. They're on cruise control. And you know, there's sometimes where they'll turn it on. And like like you said, KD dropped 65 points. He was just out there, you know, lighting them up. Kevin, Kevin. First of all, Kevin Durant. This is, he's, in NBA history, he might be the best scorer in NBA history, flat out, hands down. You know, um, I I get the nod to. I'm a big, I'm a big MJ fan, big MJ. I grew up in the '80s and the '90s watching him, you know, play and watching his highlights. And I wanted to be like Mike growing up. That was the era that everybody wanted to be like. I wanted to be like Mike. Mike is the greatest player to me. He's he's the GOAT. And for me to say that Kevin Durant is a better scorer than Mike, it's I I, I gotta give it to Kevin Durant. He's a seven footer with a, with unlimited range. And he can put it on a he can handle the ball and get to the basket at will. Like you can't stop him. Like how can you stop a guy? At that 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 tall, because you line him up with you, uh, you line him up with somebody who's just as tall, and he's athletic enough to go around him, and get to the basket. And you line him up with somebody smaller who 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 might be able to you know stop him from getting to the basket. He just raises up and shoots a jumper. Like how can you stop? How can you stop KD? Man, he's in Brooklyn now. I want to get your thoughts on that. How's he gonna do next year? Healthy in in the you know a big city. A uh, uh, healthy BK, uh, Brooklyn Nets team. Next year goes to the finals. I guarantee. Look, I guarantee you right now on your show. If if the if the BK Nets, if Kyrie and KD and the rest of the uh, Nets team stays healthy, they make it to the finals next season. Bold statement, and we're going to be looking back on this for sure. So let, let's hope that you're right. And also, you know, uh, we mentioned and spoke about Steve Nash before. He's the new head coach. He was your former teammate, played against him. Amari Stoudemire, an assistant. I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Uh, when I saw that post, I was just like, wow. That's brotherhood right there. <laughs> that's brotherhood. That's called taking that's, – that's like being in a uh, fraternity. And they always say, you know, guys who make the NBA, you know, it's like making a fraternity. And, you know, things like that, you know, show – shows – the unity and brotherhood that uh, that that the NBA or the NBA players, I should say, have with one another. You know, with Steve Nash and you know his 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 one-two guy. Like that was that was the Phoenix Suns one-two punch right there. Amari Stoudemire and Steve Nash, and here they are, at, you know, teaming up as coaches here in BK right now. is is awesome. It's awesome to see. It's awesome to see. You're on the floor for Kobe's 81. Also, the malice at the palace. 
Now, you, I, I believe it was you that passed it down to Ben Wallace, which had that hard foul, which sparked everything. Now, we've seen it from the camera angle. Take me through your angle on the floor from your eyes exactly what happened. It happened so fast. I didn't know. I didn't see exactly what happened. I just saw the, the results uh, when it ended up back at the um, the little scores table and Ron Artest was like laying down and Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace and everybody was trying to, you know, the confrontation. But um, like I said, I played on a, on a great, you know, Detroit Pistons team. I was I was just happy to be in the game at the time. It was the fourth quarter and I just wanted to play basketball and I was excited to be out there. And uh, this happened. I was just like, come on, guys, I'm just ready to play. Like, come on frightening to see how the fans were really trying to attack the players and just to see how it escalated you know the fans running out onto the court the players going up into the stands um it was again like i i it was the one time the one and only time that i really didn't feel too safe playing basketball is ben wallace a hall of famer your former teammate why wouldn't he be he was uh uh, one thing that I learned about the NBA, people, players get paid and recognized. They get paid millions and they get recognized as great players by being specialists. And Ben Wallace was a, was a specialist at what he did. Um, you know, he played defense and he grabbed rebounds. And uh, he did that better than anybody in his time. Uh, so I would say I would give him the nut. But then again, I don't know the I don't really know the requirements to becoming a Hall of Famer. I just know that NBA players, um, like certain guys, specialize in a certain area in basketball, and they and they they master their craft. And he mastered what he did, and no one did it better than him during his era. I want to talk about your time in Miami, playing with Dwayne Wade. Shaquille O'Neal, Gary Payton, White Chocolate, and those guys. My time, my time in Miami was short, unfortunately, um, but I did get a chance to, you know, play with uh, D. Wade and Shaquille O'Neal. I mentioned Gary Payton, White Chocolate. Um, I didn't mention Anton Walker, um, Alonzo Mourning, and uh, it was fun. Shaq is a, a a really fun guy to be around, and I'll tell you. A, a cool story. Um, it was the pre. It was the. I was. It was the off season. My second year in LA. I was a free agent, and I was in New York City. You know, um, at a you know a little sports bar watching the Roy Jones fight. I was by myself, and who comes walking in by himself? Shaquille O'Neal, and he and I are you know sitting, watching this fight, and you know talking about basketball, talking about LA and things like that. And he asked me personally. He was like. So what you doing next year? I said, I'm a free agent. I don't know where I'm going uh, next year yet. He was like, hold on. And he makes a phone call. And, uh, you know, um, he makes a phone call. He doesn't get anybody. But um, I just know that the next day that my agent had uh, Miami Heat contract on the table uh, uh, for me uh, at the very next day. Uh, that's how cool, cool of a guy Shaq is. I mean, he's just a fun. That's my story, you know. And he's just a fun guy to be around. It was a fun locker room to uh, kind of hang out in, and uh, you know, I enjoy my time in Miami. That's incredible, man. Two, two big, tall 
NBA players walk into a bar and next thing you know, you're on the Miami Heat. You know, that's funny. Now, you're 39. You haven't played professionally in a few years. You know, you got other things going on. You got your company. You're grinding to become an NBA referee. Is it official that you're calling it quits on your playing career? No, I'm done. Um, My passion for the game has transferred to, you know, the refereeing side. Uh, I played professionally professional basketball for 17 years. You know, uh, six years in the NBA, 11 years overseas. Um, I got my, my I got my feeling. Um, do I love the game still? Yeah, I love the game. But as far as playing wise, uh, my my passion for the game has transferred from playing it and wanting to, to play professionally to refereeing on the refereeing side and wanting to do that professionally. So yes, I'm done. I'm done playing basketball. No big three for me. Smosh, thank you so much for coming on and and being so real on so many different topics. And of course, wearing the inside buzz tee. I got your stuff on, Smush Parker Elite Gear. Check it out on his Instagram. No, thank you uh, for having me. Thank you for uh, the, the 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 jersey swap. You know, thank you for rocking the uh, Smush Parker Meet Me Upstairs uh, sweater. And I look forward to uh, doing this again with you. For Smush Parker, I'm Mikey Domagala, and that was episode 24 of Inside Buzz. Thanks for watching.